Over the years, uh, well, one of the great ministries of Youth with a Mission, I was in Youth with a Mission for four years, but one of the great ministries of Youth with a Mission is really prayer and intercession. And uh, what I'm sharing with you in sharing these pointers for effective prayer, I'm, entering, uh, I'm, I'm sharing with you a way that we were taught to pray about how to enter into the presence of God, to prepare your heart for that prayer time. Okay, I'm wanting to get into the presence of God, and I'm wanting to pray, but and, and I'm wanting to have an effective prayer time, but I don't know exactly how to enter in so that I have an effective prayer time, if I could say it like that. So these, these are steps that was developed by Joy Dawson and by others, um, and if there's any of these left over and any of you want to take them to any of your friends, you can do that. You can come later and ask me for them, and I'll give you another one or two. You can take those. So, so there are these seven points that, we, that uh, we discovered that if you begin your prayer by just checking, making this a little checklist as you begin praying. Um, and the first one, of course, is to begin by worship. Worship is not something that just happens when we all sing songs together on church and Sunday morning. Worship is a way of life. Worship, uh, we, we worship at home. You know, we praise, we actively engage in praise and worship in our own personal prayer life. Okay? So we begin with worshiping. And, of course, Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's worship, isn't it? We are exalting the name of Jesus. And then we have confession, which, and I have, you have some scriptures here. You can look this up. I'm doing this really rapidly because I'm wanting to move on to what we're the, our main topic this afternoon. But, but it's always good when we come to pray to say, cleanse my heart, oh God. You know, I want a clean heart. I want a pure heart. Because, you know, the prayer, the earnest uh, prayer of, of a righteous man avails much. But we, our hearts need to be righteous by, uh, by coming daily and having the blood of Jesus cleanse them anew and afresh. And then we submit to the Lordship of Christ. Our Father in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's a prayer of submission. And, and often, um, over the years, I discover two or three things. If I do this every morning and I do this every evening, if I will do about these three things, both of those times in my day, I have a much higher level of victory. I have more firepower against the enemy. I am less harassed. Um, a lot of people live their lives in continual, uh, you know, yo-yo, up, down, up, down, up, down, continually harassed by the enemy. But uh, some of it is because they don't know how to pray at the beginning of every day. Okay? So at the beginning of every day, I begin by submitting myself to God. And I do that with Romans 12.1. You know, he says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So I begin every morning by just saying, I present myself, I submit myself to you, Lord Jesus, rule and reign in my life today. And I, I, I you know, give myself to you in my body, in my soul, and in my spirit. And I ask you to rule and reign over each of these parts of my life. And, and I submit to you my emotions, my will, and my thoughts. So I bring all of my inner being under the authority of Christ. 
And I say, I'm going to live this way today under the Lordship of Christ. When you are under the Lordship of Christ, you're protected by him, aren't you? And then, of course, we apply the blood of Christ to ourselves and our friends and our, uh, not, uh, not, uh, maybe our friends, but our family, our housing, all of that stuff, the car when you drive. You know, you just do this at the beginning of the day. And then the other thing is you just put on the whole armor of God. You know, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, girdle of truth. On my feet is the preparation of the gospel of peace. In my hand is the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. Now, I'm doing all of this very quickly. You can take longer to put on, on, the, on these pieces of armor. But I was, I, was, I was teaching on one occasion. This is when I was at Pacific Coast Bible College. And I was teaching on one occasion, and I said, you know, we really need to do this every day. And one of the people that had been a missionary in Brazil before just said, oh, you know, I just think that becomes routine. Uh, it becomes non-meaningful. It just becomes an empty form. We don't need to do that, da, da, da. And he was saying this type of thing. And there, it was very interesting because in that class, there was a member of the class that uh, had been in the Air Force before and, as a matter of fact, had, had flown... Uh, a U-2 uh, plane out of, um, and those, those planes were based, which was one of the most awesome spy planes the United States ever had, and those planes were based out of an a, uh, Air Force base that was north of Sacramento in Marysville. And so when this missionary, this former missionary said, oh, that just becomes an empty form and ritual, putting on the whole armor of God, we don't need to do that, that type of thing. But this, this, this guy said, you have to understand that when I'm wearing civilian clothes, I think and I react in a certain way. You know, I'm kind of at ease in the way that I'm looking at life and so forth. He said, but when, I, when I'm on call and I go to my closet and I put on my flight suit and I zip it up, and I get the other pieces that I need for flying, and I leave, and I go. That very act of putting on my flight suit and zipping it up, I change the way I'm thinking. I change the way that I'm thinking. And, and now I'm, on, I'm in this different mode because I'm ready to go on that mission. And so a lot of us, you know, we just run around in our civilian clothes, and we become easy targets, so we need to learn to put on the whole armor of God. And then, maybe none of you have experienced this, but because of some of the places where I've been and some of the level of spiritual warfare that I've been in in different places, and I used to experience this uh, quite often when I lived in London, but at night, you, you, you can really be afflicted by the enemy at night. And maybe some of you have never experienced that, but I have. And by afflicted, I'm not talking about just bad dreams, but I'm also talking about experiences like you can feel paralyzed. I mean, you're laying there and your body won't move and you just want something, you know, in your body to move. Or you can, you can uh, feel like you're being choked or other things like that. Now, if, none of, if you haven't had these experiences, I say, bless God, you're, you're very happy you've never had those. But when you get involved, sometimes in doing heavy warfare, you can be in places where these things happen, okay? Because the enemy, you may not know who you are, but the enemy knows who you are. And we have to continually remind ourselves of that all the time because we think, 
Oh, I'm weak. I'm nothing. I don't have any power. Who am I? You know, and we, we have all of this little, you know, moaning, mini image of ourselves. And the enemy looks at us as a mighty warrior that's full of light and authority. And he knows the power that you pack. You don't, many of us don't know the power that we pack, but he does. So he is, you know, wanting to, um, to hassle us every chance that he gets. So I, I would, I, I started putting, going, doing, doing some of these steps, especially the things I'm describing, coming under the Lordship of Christ, applying the blood of Jesus, and putting on the whole armor of God, and worshiping before I go to sleep. If I do that at night, I have much better dreams. I sometimes even have, I think, angelic dreams, but I have these wonderful dreams at night. God gives me prophetic downloads at night. I mean, there are some wonderful things that happen can happen in the night hours. David said that he sang in the night hours, that he prayed in the night hours, that he meditated on the word in the night hours. David says all that in the Psalms, doesn't he? Okay? So instead of the enemy just destroying our nights, we can come to the Lord and we can use those as, as, a, as useful times. But I found out by putting on the whole armor at night, I had better dreams and a better sleep experience, and I was not being hassled by the enemy like I was before. So, also when I was kind of trying to understand, you know, why is it that this happens at night, then the Lord showed me, he showed me two things. Number one, when we sleep, we are more vulnerable. We are more vulnerable um, because you know, even though our body needs sleep, that our spirit never sleeps. You know, your spirit is active and alive in the presence of God 24-7. The spirit doesn't need to sleep, but your body needs sleep. And, and none of us should just say, well, you know, uh, we... I don't know. I, I'm a person, if I'm not careful, I have so many things I want to do. I just don't want to sleep. It's like a waste of time. Uh, but I have other friends that just love to sleep, you know. So I've, I've had to see sleep as a gift from God. And it's something that I physically need because he has established that rhythm within 24 hours, you know, that we need to sleep. And he wants to send his angels to minister to us in our sleep. But the, the enemy, while we are sleeping, wants to sometimes come and attack us. So we have to, you know, by placing ourselves under his lordship and by putting on the whole armor, then he has a lot of less access to us. Okay? So I don't know. That's just a lesson that I learned. You can take that for what it is. If you don't like it and say, well, I don't believe that, I, that doesn't bother me. I'm just saying that was my experience, and if it helps you at all, that's good, you know. But when we sub are submitting ourselves to God, we have to realize that there are things that we can do that will give us a greater level of victory. And we can choose to do those things or not do those things. Okay. So then the step of dying, that means that uh, dying to our own thoughts and inviting the Holy Spirit. That's just, that's just like when you pray and you say, Lord, 
I confess to you, I don't know how to pray as I should. I confess to you that my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, and you think far beyond me. So right now, I choose to die to my own thoughts and human reasonings and imaginations. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would come and quicken my mind with the thoughts of the Holy Spirit so that I can pray those thoughts. Again, this is kind of entry-level prayer, right before you really get into the main prayer thing. And then you resist the enemy, and, uh, and, and he will flee from you. But, but Jesus even taught us to do that. He said every day what, what you should do. Deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from the evil one. So he said every day you're going to have war, but you can begin, you can pray like I'm teaching you to pray. To, you know, li- Please, Lord. Save me and protect me from all temptation and deliver me from the evil one this day, okay? And then after we've done that, we begin to wait on God, and he begins then to bring things to our mind to pray for, okay? And then we end with praise and thanksgiving. So I wish I had time to unpack this, and I wish we had time to get into small groups and to pray and to use this as a prayer guide. But I don't have time to do that today, so I'm simply giving this to you as a prayer aid. You can put it in your Bible. You can use it as you want to, but if you will begin uh, starting prayer by going through this little list as kind of the, the, the entry level for getting you into prayer, and I, I have scriptures there. If you want to look at those and meditate on those, you can too. So that's just a freebie for you. Okay. Because the main thing I want to teach about this afternoon, if we can go on to the third um, presentation, is, is uh, I want to talk about praying scripture. And I was telling uh, your pastor, uh, Anthony, I'll stand up a little bit, and I'll sit down again. Um, this is something that I've practiced for years, and I've practiced it in different ways, but I've never really taught on it per se. And your pastor, uh, and, and he is also the wind leader in the conference, but he asked me to come and especially to teach some things that would be useful for groups of intercessors. How to get a handle on, on group intercession and what would work. So as I was meditating on that and thinking about that, I thought I, I want to teach a little bit about praying scripture, okay? Um, and um, this presentation starts off with a verse from Um, Psalm 138, verse number 2, which says, uh, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So that says, I'm beginning my prayer time with praise and thanksgiving, and I'm thinking about who you are and your steadfast love and your faithfulness to me, and I'm so grateful, God. But then he goes on and he says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So, you know, sometimes in prayer, we also, at the beginning stages, can just reflect on the names of God and just begin speaking out the names of God and worshiping God and thanking him that he is, he is Jehovah Rapha, he is the shepherd, he is the healer, he is our strength, he is the faithful one, he is good, he is full of glory. You know, we begin with all of those things, you know, who he is. But it says, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Okay, so there are two things that God has exalted above all things, his name, which is his character, his reputation, who he is. But he also says, and your word. 
So learning how to pray the word because he's exalted above all things, his word, we need to learn how to pray scripture. Okay? So uh, on the next slide, I, I wrote that the Bible serves not only as an authoritative guide for doctrine. So a lot of times, um, people look at scripture and they look at scripture basically as a guide to know what they believe. What do I believe theologically? I look at the Bible to figure out who God is, you know, what is the nature of man? What is the nature of, of, of salvation? What is the nature of, you know? So we're, we're only coming to the Bible as kind of a source book for our doctrine instead of coming to the Bible as a prayer book, as a devotional book, as a book that is leading us into God's presence. Because, because I believe... I believe that even before doctrine, God wants us to experience him. He wants us to experience him. Now, that does not mean that doctrine is not important and truth is not important. But there's no point in knowing a lot of truth and a lot of doctrine if you don't experience any of it. But on the other hand, your experience should be based on something that is solid, which is the word of God. So the two, the two interact with each other, and the early church in Acts 2, chapter 42, it says, what were their activities? These are the activities of the early church. They, they, they were engaged in the apostles' teaching and in prayer and in the breaking of bread. And they needed all three of, the, all three of those things were in the life of the early church. It had something to do with solid teaching, it had something to do with prayer, and it had something to do with fellowship. All of those things were there. So, uh, the Bible teaches us how to pray. So, so we can ask the question, how did the patriarchs pray? I talked about Abraham today. I could have talked about Moses. I have a whole teaching on Moses and the intercessory prayer that we have in, in, in um, Exodus chapter uh, you know, 33 to chapter 35. Because it really teaches us about intercession. Uh, and, and I want to say, for any of you that are readers... If you want to read a little book that takes a prayer of Scripture and it gives you insight uh, on prayer based on that prayer of Scripture, then I think the best book on that is John White's book, Dare to Draw Near. It's called Dare to Draw Near. Every single chapter is a biblical prayer. And, and the first one is Abraham, the Genesis 18, and then the next one, I think, is Moses, his intercessory prayer. He has uh, a chapter or two on David's prayer life. He has Jesus' prayer life in the garden. He has something from Paul. So he has all these different prayers of Scripture. Okay? So if that interests you and you want to read more about that, to see how you can take a prayer of Scripture and you can learn something from it about how to pray, that's a very good book. It's John White's book on Dare to Draw Near. Um, we can ask how great leaders have prayed. Uh, I, on one occasion, I got a book. Uh, a book came, I, I didn't go to the bookstore uh, and get it, but it came across my desk. Uh, I guess somebody gave it to me. I don't know how I ended up with it, but I ended up with a book. And it was written by Robert Schuller, and it was his spiritual journey in prayer. I, I, it's, it so surprised me because, you know, he had all this kind of gospel of positive thinking, 
But in this book, I really did discover about some of the hard things he went through and how he learned to pray in the midst of that. Okay? So sometimes when you explore some of the lives of some of the great leaders, you begin to discover what their prayer life was really like. Okay? Um, but the Bible also teaches us when and how to pray, that we can pray in crisis, in war, in famine, in shipwreck, you know. When you look at the last chapter of the book of Acts, you see the shipwreck that's going on and how, how the Lord stood with, with Paul in that moment of time and how he prayed. And One of the things I like to do in the uh, epistles is to, is, is to take the prayers that are found in the epistles and to actually pray those prayers. I've done that before. Like you take Ephesians chapter 1, the end of Ephesians 1, you know, he's talking about he wants revelation, he wants knowledge. And I, I have taken that, I've taken and, you know, put my Bible open in front of me and just prayed that line by line. And then you can do the same thing with Ephesians 3. And you can do that with First Thessalonians 1. And really, um, I think Pastor Anthony and anyone else here that functions as a pastor, learning how, learning how, we can learn how to pray for our congregation by seeing how Paul prayed for those churches. What were some of the things he prayed for those churches? What were some of the things he desired for those believers, whether it was in Ephesus or Thessalonica or wherever? So on the next slide, we, it says that when you pray scripture, you can rest assured that your prayers are on solid ground. A lot of times, if we're not careful, we pray our emotions. We pray our worry. We pray our anxiety. We pray our anger. We pray our frustration. We pray our, our disappointment. We, we're praying all these things. And so, you know, sometimes God, I think he scratches his head and says, I, I just don't know what to do about this right now. Because I know that you're just praying out of your present circumstance and you don't have the big view and I do. Okay? But, and I'm so glad some of those, those prayers he, he doesn't answer. But when we pray from, thus says God, and I'm not talking about, you know, proof texting. We look around the Bible to get something to prove that we're right. Because we can do that if, if we're not careful. But rather, you know, the Lord taking a passage of scripture and he just kind of ignites it to our spirit. And we know that's for us. You know, I'm sure everyone here, many of you here, have had this experience. You're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, as you're reading, reading the Bible, these two or three verses are just like a neon lights, and they're going, whoo, whoo, whoo. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just standing out to you, and you suddenly, and, and your heart, it inspires faith in your heart. At that time, your heart will feel like it burns, or it just goes, wow, you know, and 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 that, that's what the Holy Spirit does. But actually, when that happens, a good thing to do, instead of saying, boy, that was great today, write that down in your journal, the date and that scripture, so that you can revisit it again, so it doesn't just fall by the wayside. So today, I want to talk about a little bit about how to pray scripture in your own personal life and how to pray it in small groups, okay? So on the next slide, there are different approaches for different uh, seasons and different reasons. Okay? 
So when I picked out this picture, I thought this was interesting because it says it shows the same pathway, but at different seasons. Okay, and there are different seasons of our life, and there are different ways to pray at different seasons in our life, and there are different ways to even pray the scriptures at different seasons, and there are different reasons for praying the scriptures in different ways. So uh, I, I want to talk about uh, four different approaches. On the next slide, I want to talk about four different approaches. And these are things that I've discovered in my own life about praying uh, scripture, okay? So I believe there are four ways. It's like in this teaching, I've done this stuff for years, but I never did see, uh, I, I never saw until I started preparing for, for this teaching session today that, yes, I pray scripture in this, 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 and this way, okay? These are four different ways of praying scripture itself. So the first one is personal promise and prophetic direction, okay? And each one of these I'm going to unpack, all right? I'm going to unpack each one of these, but I'm going to spend more time on the very last one, okay? But, but God sometimes, as I said, he, get, he puts the scripture in neon, in neon lights. Recently, God, yeah, within the last about 10 days, God has put a scripture in neon lights, and I know... It has something to do about the next season in my life, something new that God wants to do in my life. And it has to do with the nations, and it has to do with going to new and different nations. But, but it, was, it was just like, okay, I got to, this is what God is saying to me. So I'm going to not only underline this, but I'm going to journal this. But I'm going to come back and I'm going to visit this again and again. It's not enough to get a scripture one time. We have to pursue that. We have to be relentless. We have to keep going after that until there is a fulfillment of the word of the Lord to us. And the same thing is true with prophetic direction in our life. I'm going to revisit this in just a minute. And then there is biblical meditation and contemplation. I, I, the, on this one topic, I could spend between an hour and three hours teaching this, this, this one thing about biblical meditation, what it is, how to go about doing that, and so forth and so on. Because I don't have time to do that today, I'm mentioning two things. One is called Lectio Divina. And at the end of this session, I will, I will give you a handout that will teach you that has uh, seven different or six different points here. How about in your own personal devotional life, how to go about following, um, how to get into meditating in scripture. Okay. I want to say that the enemy is really trying in Buddhism, because Buddhism, I, I view Buddhism as a far greater threat to the American church than Islam is. Islam is very open. Islam is very much in your face. We are aware of it and we push back from that and we know what's going on. Buddhism is extremely subtle. It is embedded in our movies at the very bottom level of thought systems. I, I can identify Buddhism easier because I lived in Japan for four years. And so I, I know what that looks and feels like. 
So we have all we we have people who want to de-stress, and a good way of de-stressing is learning how to meditate. Okay. So a lot of Christians, they push back against meditation because they say that's Eastern religion. It's not Eastern religion. It's biblical. David meditated in the Word day and night. Psalm, you know, chapter 1. What does it say? In, in his word, he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Okay? Meditation is biblical. But there's a big difference between Eastern meditation and, and Christian meditation. And Eastern meditation is all about passivity and emptying your mind. You say a certain word, you keep saying this word over and over, because you want to, you know, bring your mind down, uh, and, and you want to just empty it, okay? But in Christian meditation, your mind is active. It is engaged with the Holy Spirit, and it is engaged in, in, in focusing on something, and that, that something can be Christ. You can just sit with the Lord and just meditate on him and who he is. But your mind is focused on Christ. But a good way to learn how to begin doing that is how to meditate on scripture. And there's a specific way that, that teaches you how to do that. One way, it's not the only way, but one way um, is, is called Lectio Divina. Another way is outlined in a book called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ by Jean Guyon. Okay? In that book, that book had a profound influence on both John Wesley and on Watchman Nee. They learned, uh, they learned this method of meditating on Scripture that is outlined in that book, and that was at the core of their life of intimacy with God. Okay? Now, I know that I, I'm a teacher, so I throw out books, and you don't have to read all the books that I mentioned. And some of you have already read some of the books that I mentioned. But, but I, I think that it's, it, it's, it's, it's important for us to realize that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are people who have gone before us who have walked into some deep places in God, and we can access what they wrote by just reading a book. And she outlines this as, as well and as easily as anything that I know. And that is the name of the book that I wrote there called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ. Okay. So we have here two approaches, the personal promise, biblical meditation, contemplation, but also praying scripture as a devotional practice. That's a little bit different, and I'll explain that. And then I will end up by talking about praying scripture in this small group setting, especially for intercessory prayer. Okay. Going on to the next slide. Okay. We want to talk about the personal promises that God gives us. Okay. There are things that God promises us through his word. It's like I said. Where he... There, there are points in time in our journey where we are in a crisis, we're seeking guidance, we're moving along, but we need a word from the Lord to say to us what we need to do, where we need to go, what he has for us. 
And at that point in time, he may give us a scripture. Or once in a while, someone comes into our life right then, and they just don't even know what they're doing. They just give us this prophetic word, but it's like shazam. You know, it's like boom. It's like bam. It's like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like that's it. But we, but we have to value those things very highly. And one way that you value them is by journaling them and then holding them up to God. And then at times asking the Holy Spirit to come and to refresh your memory. Okay? Um, I'll just give one, one or two examples from my own life. When I was 15 years old and I was at a youth camp um, in Missouri and uh, just north of St. Louis, and I was at this youth camp, and it was just mighty, mighty what God was doing. But um, I was, I guess you would say I was slain in the spirit, you know, I had carpet time. But in that time period, I, I had a vision, and I had a vision of Africa, and I knew God was saying he was calling me to be a missionary. So I, I continued living my life, but I remembered this, because these these... These moments in time, you remember. You remember. Okay? The Holy Spirit keeps bringing them back to you. So when I got, I, I came up to finishing high school, then I knew that this is the God's direction for me. So I have to, I thought, become either a teacher or a nurse if I'm going to go overseas somewhere. And, and uh, an incident happened in our family that said to me, nursing is not it. I can't do blood. I can't do hospital rooms. It doesn't work for me. So I guess it will have to be teaching. And then God led me to a small Pentecostal holiness Bible college in South Carolina. I lived in Iowa. I didn't hear of Holmes College of the Bible in South Carolina, Greenville, South I mean, that's, that was a non-entity at such a small Bible college. But if you know anything about the Pentecostal holiness church and some of its history, this school probably in the early years produced 90% of all the leaders, okay? I didn't even know that, that God was directing me to this particular school. But God, through a series of miracles, directed me to go to this school, and I went to it. I finished it, and then I, 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 uh, I went to Mexico. I taught English as a second language for two years. I came back from that, and I became the Christian Education Director here in Northern California, I did a lot of stuff. And so after I did all that, I thought, now it's time to go to Africa. So, and I'd become Pentecostal holiness. So I went to the World Missions Director, and I sat across from his desk. It was B.E. Underwood. And I said to him, um, God's called me to be a missionary to Africa. Just straight out. He was always very straight with you. He's straight out across the desk. He looks at me, and he says, he says, well, he says, we're not sending any more single women as missionaries. We've made this policy, and that's it. And I just thought, wow. You know, I mean, I've worked all these years, and now, and God led me to this church, and now this person says to me, we're not sending out any more single women missionaries. Anyway, I, went, I came back to California, and it was really at that time that I, I became that youth leader. Um, so... What happened was a year later, this same person comes to me and says, this person who said, we are never going to have any more women as, as missionaries, comes to me and says, 
By the way, we need someone to go to Africa as a missionary to teach in a Bible college. Yeah. Now, this, this is the miracle because I ended up in Zambia in Central Africa. The vision I had when I was 15 was of Central Africa, not West Africa, East. It was Central Africa, was in the heart of Africa. I ended up in Zambia, which is in the heart of Africa, completely landlocked country, and, 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 and there were no... Because I, uh, my first years, when I was in high school, all that was in the Assemblies of God, so I always thought it would be Assemblies of God. There were no Assemblies of God missionaries in that country. There was only Pentecostal holiness. So he, he orchestrated my life. He gave me this vision. He gave me this promise. He gave me this prophetic direction. And over 12 years, he worked that out until I found myself sitting in Africa looking at the mountains and I'm wondering how I got there. Okay? But part of that comes because when God gives you a personal promise, you don't just say, well, that's nice, God. You can do it when you want to. You have to pursue God. You have to prepare yourself. You have to say, I'm not going to let go of this. This is from you, God, but I'm not responsible to fulfill this. You are because you said it. Okay? We get messed up because we get a personal promise, and so we go about to just fulfill that promise on our own. And you can never fulfill in the flesh what God has said in the Spirit. It's up to him, isn't it? It's his thing. But he gives us these promises. So... You know, in this time, maybe a passage leaps off the page at us. So it's for our life journey. So Jesus had some life promises. I mean, he gets up, he gets up in the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4. And what does it quote? He quotes Isaiah 61. He doesn't quote it. He reads it. That was, I believe, a life verse for Jesus. Perhaps from the time he was 12 years old when he was discussing things in the temple with the elders, the Holy Spirit had put that in his life. I'm not saying that he did or he didn't. But there is an authority, and he understands that verse is him. And it has come to fulfillment that day. He applies the scripture to himself. So we can take the word of God and apply it to ourselves. But he can give us life passages that show us our identity in God. But we have to contend for that as well. Okay, there is this kind of synergy that works back and forth. So as I said, it's good to write down these passages. It's good to revisit them. But we have to relentlessly pursue them. And as the last point here says, we often don't inherit the promises because we get tired. We forget what he said and we give up. A lot of us, that's what we do. We just get tired, we give up, we forget what he said, instead of being relentless. As I said before, there was a 12-year period between that and that. And I can look at another time when there was another 12-year period between this and this. 
and I feel like I'm right in the middle of another 12-year period in my life. I was given certain promises when I graduated from Regent University, and I believe right now is when they're really beginning to unfold, and that was in 2001. Why? Because we have to be relentless and faithful. And if you are relentless and faithful, he will bring his words to pass. But a lot of us even forget what he said. What is his destiny for this church? What are the prophetic words God has said over this church? If we let them fall to the ground, that's what they will do. But if we pursue God for them, he will bring it to pass. But that, the, 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 this is the catch, isn't it? A lot of us give up. A lot of us get tired. A lot of us forget. So you have to have this active thing of stirring up, stirring up, stirring up the word of the Lord. Stir it up. Don't let the word of the Lord fall to the ground. It says, it says in the book of Samuel, so God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And I don't want, you know, for in my own life, I don't want the words of the Lord that he's given me to fall to the ground. But they're going to fall to the ground if I don't pursue them. Okay. So that's the personal promise. That's one way to process the promises of God. Okay. The next thing is biblical uh, meditation. So I gave you those four approaches and I'm going through each one of them. Okay. So biblical meditation is a way of growing in intimacy and sharpening our listening skills. Okay. So we talked about how do you develop this relationship here? Well, of course, one of, the, one of them is by reading the Word of God. But he wants us to go deeper into the Word of God. Not just to say, okay, I'm going to read three chapters every day. That's great. I can read the Bible through if I do that in a year. You know? Pretty soon, the Word of God, I mean, you've, you've looked at that page. You know what's there. I mean, it's not relating to you. So there it has to be a way. The Word of God is intended us to bring us closer to God. And I, I'm also really convinced that if you want, if you feel like there's a prophetic edge in your life and God wants to use you in that way, you, anyone that God uses in the prophetic, our ears have to be very, very sharp. And you sharpen your hearing through meditation. Because at the core of meditation is looking at a very small passage of Scripture and reading it and kind of waiting on God and worshiping Him and reading it and waiting on God and worshiping Him until suddenly you get this revelation that is just kind of coming up out of that. Coming up out of that. So it's a way of feeding on the Word of God. And one time, you know, there are passages of Scripture that um, we always read those and we don't even think about them. Almost every time, all of Paul's epistles, he always begins them by some sort of a verse that is kind of introducing himself, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, a servant, da-da-da, and then always on the second verse, I mean Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, because that's where my Bible fell open to. But it says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Most of us read that verse, grace and peace to you, from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the salutation of the book. We just read those two verses. We don't even think about them, and then we get into what he really is going to say in the book. I mean, like, we don't, that's kind of like a non-brainer. You just read those two to get into the book. But I was, I was meditating, I believe it was here in the book of Ephesians, and as I was meditating, I came to this verse, grace and peace to you. And it just really kind of leaped off the page. I mean, I, I started reflecting on why did he say these things to this church? What was the church going through? Great persecution. It was an underground movement. It was... It was, you know, it, it was in the Roman Empire. Christians were being killed and were being beheaded. There was all this persecution going on. Christians were under great stress. And what are the two things he wants for them? Grace. Thinking about grace, what that means. And then thinking about peace. That peace of God. So I, I, I just reflected on that, and I began writing about that. And it just went, you know, just boom. I had revelation. So you can take, the Holy Spirit can take you to passages that are very obscure, kind of like this is. This is kind of a non-brainer. You just kind of read that. Uh, and, and then also from, to you from God our Father, just reflecting on our Father. God is our Father, and then the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm giving that, as, that to you as an illustration of just the way that you can feed on the Word, you can listen, and then, and, and really out of that then came a message that I began speaking in some different churches on about this is what God wants for you in your own personal life. He wants grace and he wants peace. And if you are stressed, this is the best way to get out of stress is to receive the grace of God in your daily living situation and is to receive the peace of God. I'm using all of that as an illustration to say that's the kind of thing that can happen when you begin meditating on the word of God and much, much more because God just applies the word to you. So it begins feeding your inner spirit. The word of God begins feeding your inner spirit and there comes this strength in you. So um, this happens then as a way of lifting up the Word of God. So, so after you have fed on the Word of God, then what you need to do is, is you need to respond to it. Okay? There is no true meditation until you have responded to what he's given you. Okay? So here you are with a small passage. The Holy Spirit ignites this. And then you, you need to think about, now, how do I want you, God, to apply this to my life? All right? So you can, you, you can apply it in about four different ways. And one way is by praise and thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for the grace and the peace that you're giving me in my life. You know? And you can receive, or you can say, Lord, I'm receiving your grace into this situation that I'm going through right now. I don't know how to solve this problem. I'm really stressed about this. I don't see any way forward, but I'm receiving your grace for this situation. I'm receiving your peace, and I speak peace over this situation. 
You can you can turn uh, another way to after you have meditated. Another thing that you can do is that you can use this as a prayer point or a point of intercession. For example, if you are a little later in that chapter of Ephesians chapter one, and then you're reading all of that prayer about Revelation, you know maybe you would you would have an intercessory prayer to say, Lord, I just pray you would begin to do this for the people that are are in the church. I'm talking about pastoral prayer, all right? An apostolic prayer. I just pray you would do this for the people in the church. Uh, once in a while, when you're meditating, God will just give you a solution to a problem. It's like you just, you're meditating on the word and all of a sudden, and you're just focused on the word of God and all of a sudden, shazam, a whole strategy, a whole idea, a whole way of solving a problem in your life comes to you. You hadn't even anticipated, Okay. And then finally, sometimes it's an exhortation to say, why don't you do something about this in your community? You know, why don't you do some practical application? Okay. Um, then on the next slide, I have outlined, uh, really, it's six points here uh, on steps in the process of meditation. How to get started in, this is personal meditation. This is not group meditation. This is personal meditation in your own prayer life, okay? When I was, uh, I, I started pastoring after I finished being a missionary in Japan, and I started pastoring, and at the very beginning of that, uh, Pastor Dan Greenlee in San Jose was my primary mentor, and I went down to see him and he invited me to come to what they called was a presbytery, which was a time when they had some people, they had two people that were, you know, if I could say prophets or apostles, and they were praying over the leadership of the church, and they were speaking prophetically into their life. So, so they said, he said, you know, we will pray over you too. So after they had prayed and prophesied over me, then they gave me that prophecy, but I began praying that prophecy they gave me. But one of the points of the prophecy was this, and it said, it said, uh, you, have, you have said, like Jeremiah of old, you have said um, that I will not speak any more in your name, O God, but your word was in me as a burning fire, and I could not withhold it. Okay. Then the, the prophet of God said two things to me that changed my whole experience first one was bloom where you're planted. It doesn't matter if you're in a desert or a city. I was in a desert right then. I was in Nevada. I was by myself. The second thing that was said to me was that you have handled the word of God. Now the word of God is going to handle you. Okay? So th th this was God's word to me, and I had to, you know, so I wanted to know how to apply that to my life. So I decided that I needed to start meditating in the Word of God. If the Word of God was going to be so important in my life, it was going to be an anchor, I had to do it. So I started doing it. And I've meditated through whole books of Scripture like Romans, Hebrews, Ephesians, doing just a few verses at a time and writing and writing and writing. I can stand here today and say that I know I survived Nevada as a single pastor, planting a church, 
in this environment where there was continual hostility toward a woman in pa- who was a pastor with guys, you know, in the town that are miners, cowboys, you know. What are there in Nevada? There's miners, cowboys, and, and uh, gamblers, yes, and gamblers, okay. So this is, you know, why does God call a woman to pastor in such a place? Wow, you know. But the word of God was my anchor. It was my point of stability. But I got at that through meditating in the word of God. And then I, I can really also say that when it came to my London experience, I mean, really, God, sending a, a, a woman to London to plant a church, I mean, you, that, that doesn't make sense, you know. But God did that even though I didn't give him permission at the beginning to do that. But he snuck up on me on that one. Because when I finished Nevada, I said, thank you, God, very much. Been there, done that, never do that again. And he got me in the middle of all of these small groups and these wonderful group of people that started calling me a pastor. And I said, oh, no, this is happening again. <laughs> this is, you, you, you really snuck up on me on this one, didn't you, God? But I can look at those two experiences, especially in my life, which were really tough, but I know how I got through it. The Word of God was my anchor, and it was because I meditated. So I, I can really say that if, and, and now I, I don't meditate, you know, every day, but maybe two times, three times a week. I take time to go do this with God, just he and I one-on-one. So, so I'm saying that this is something that gives you stability. It gives you strength. It gives you the ability to overcome. It opens up your ears to hear what God is saying in your present situation. I think it is so critical and it is so important. So here I have some steps in the process of meditation, which is the first one is that you quiet your heart and you, you are seated with Christ. Okay, so I'm going to sit down. <laughs> I think everybody in their house needs a prayer chair. It's a chair where you have an appointment with God every day. Every other day, whatever it is, depending on what your life is like. You know, the whole thing of it is this is what I discovered. And I didn't, I've never in my house designated a prayer chair. This is going to be a prayer chair. But it's fine, I just find myself every time I pray, I sit in that chair. And, and, and so it just happens that when I sit there, I kind of expect to hear from God because I've sat there so many times and he said so many things. And it's not always been the same chair, but, but over time, yeah, I've, I've, I've only had about three prayer chairs in my life. Yeah. But, but see, you need to be seated with Christ, not laying down on the bed because you can go to sleep, not just doing this on the fly. You can't do this on the fly. You have to be very intentional. You have to say, I'm going to sit down with you, Lord. Okay? Then you're going to take the bread. You're going to bless it. You're going to break it. You're going to give it to me. That's a whole, you know, teaching right there. But when you sit there, and you, it needs to be not too comfortable of a chair, okay? Not your recliner, all pushed back. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're going to have a talk with someone. You need to be in that position that somebody is sitting here with me. Christ is seated here with me, and he's going to talk to me today. So I've come to listen to him. All right. 
So because if you do that, if you, if you choose a place, if you are seated there, and if you're in this posture of hearing and of listening to someone, right away it will be a much richer experience. Okay. So you, you are seated with Christ, and then you choose this passage, whatever it is, Ask the Holy Spirit where he wants you. He, he wants you to meditate. You know, he may tell you a chapter. He may tell you a whole book or whatever, but he knows what you should meditate on. Okay, then you choose this little passage, and you quietly and thoughtfully go over it, inviting the Holy Spirit to give you revelation. So you're pondering that. The word meditation in the Old Testament, haga, means to revolve in the mind, to chew the cud, to, to ponder something, to think about it deeply. To just let that thought just kind of just 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 kind of sink down into your soul, and then as you lift that up to the Lord, He begins to impart something to you. You see something you never had before. Your spirit comes alive. Holy Spirit begins to say something to you. So you wait, listen, and then respond in one of the ways that I've mentioned, and then it's good to record that. So what I have done, if those two you, you two guys that are helping me would please come. I, I'm just giving you this guide. Please don't read this right now. This is for you later to take home. If you want to learn more about how to meditate, this is a process that you can use. It's called Lectio Divina. It has six steps on it. And I'm just giving this to you for your own edification, if I can say, so that you can use that later. And I hope that some of you will use that because it, it makes a huge difference, okay? All right. You can also put that in your Bible. You don't need to read that right now. I'm not going to go over that, but it's a six-point step in which you select the text, uh, you prepare yourself, you read and listen, you meditate, you pray, and then you just sit in God's presence and you contemplate. And part of that is found in Madame Guyong's book that I talked about on experiencing the depths of Jesus Christ. All right. I'm sorry. I, I've been a, a teacher, as you can tell, so I always, I'm always connecting things to books, too, because there's a lot of things I can't teach you in an hour. But if you're hungry for God, there are sources you can go to that you can learn more. All right. On, on to the next slide, then. So I've gone over two ways of praying scripture. First way is a personal promise or a, a prophetic word over your life. That's one way to pray the word of God. If, if you need more, I do have more. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you there, so. Yeah, I have more. No, it's no problem. We have enough. Yeah. So I've talked about these two ways of praying scripture, okay? Then the third way is, it's just to me, and I, I, I don't, this third way is the way that I, that I do this the least. But there have been occasions when the Holy Spirit has led me to do this. And that is, it's a devotional practice that centers on praying through a, a, a passage uh, you know, or a chapter verse by verse and just applying it to a current need. So one time when I was, um, I was in a living situation that was very difficult, and out of nowhere I was just reading my daily devotional, you know, uh, you know because in addition to, to meditating, 
I just read a certain amount of scripture every day. Okay. That's my daily vitamins. All right. So, so you know, meditating is like the meat of the word and, and uh, just reading it, that's the carbs. Okay. So all of us like some carbs and we like some protein and we like both of those together, you know. Uh, and, and you always usually have more carbs than you do protein, but not necessarily, especially if you're on some diet, certain diets today. All right. Anyway, so, but, but, but just, you know, this is another thing. While I, while I was in the middle of reading, then I came to this one chapter, and I just found myself, I would read two or three verses, and I would pray. And I read two or three more verses and pray. Read two or three more verses and pray until I just sort of pray through that whole chapter in, into my living situation right then. So that is a different way of also approaching, you know, where uh, in your daily reading, if the Holy Spirit quickens you to you, just, just stop and pray these three verses, you know. Just stop and pray these three verses over this situation. Stop and pray these two or three verses. So you can just take the Word of God and just pray it like that too. And I don't do that as often, but I, I do that. Okay, then the last thing that I want uh, to talk about here is how to pray scripture in a small group. And after I teach about this for about 10 minutes, then we're going to do this uh, in, in the rest of the time that is left over. But uh, a lot of times when we have an intercessory prayer group, we don't know how to bring everybody into focus and how to get everybody on the same page in praying about something. Uh, yesterday when I was um, with this group of women who pray and this one woman, uh, she's over their, their prayer vigils on, on uh, Friday night at their church. Uh, and they do that about once a month. She said, but it's so easy to get diverted from our purpose, which is praying for the city, praying for our church. And so suddenly somebody over here needs deliverance and all of the prayer focus goes to the deliverance situation instead of staying on our prayer focus, okay? And, that, and, and, and I did say to her, and I can't say that this always happens, it's not always necessarily a plant, but the enemy knows the power of the thing that you want to pray for primarily and how that is going to break the, the gates of iron and shatter the doors, you know, to darkness over your city. And so he doesn't mind sending in a needy person over here who has this whole, you know, manifestation, an episode. So everybody is busy with that instead of busy with the agenda that God gives you. I mean, it's easy, that's easy. It's easy to get diverted. I can't say all of the diversions are from the enemy. I can say that, that, that the enemy knows the power of our prayers and he doesn't mind diverting us, okay? So, or, or, or we get into a small group and one person wants to dominate the group. Or we get into a small group and, and, and so we start praying, but this one person is just praying all around the world. So how do we pray with unity and with continuity? How do we pray the solution instead of the problem? Because often, if we're not careful, in small intercessory prayer groups, maybe with the needs of the church, I mean, a prayer, a prayer group can become a gossip session. Because in the midst of prayer, people are talking, 
you know, they're, they're mentioning all these needs to God and the other members are thinking, I didn't know that. And maybe you are divulging something that was said to you confidentially. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, when it comes to doing corporate intercessory prayer, how do we keep people focused? How do we keep them moving forward? How do we keep them on the same page? How do we help them to pray solutions instead of problems? And so this, 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 I think, is the greatest uh, reason for us using scripture in this small uh, or corporate setting, because it's a way of unifying our prayers around uh, uh, an integrating theme, okay? When, if you're going to do a half night of prayer, instead of, now, there's, there's many ways of doing half nights of prayer, okay? Some people that I know just take the soaking prayer uh, approach, where we have music that's playing. You can come anytime you want to. You can stay as long as you want to, and everybody just sort of gets by themselves, and they pray. Okay? That's one approach. That's good. I do... Some of, the, some of this prayer I do with some of these people in L.A., some, some of it is soaking prayer. That's one approach, okay? You can do another approach where, um, you know, it's kind of like really leader-centered, leader-driven, and that type of thing. But if you want to see if, if you have a long time to fill up, it's good to use two or three different techniques together. When you look at what IHOP does, and any of you that want to, you know, it's, and I've done this from time to time, it's one way that I've deepened my prayer life is I, I go to, to IHOP's site, and I, I just, you know, I turn on intercession, and I intercede with them while they're interceding for two hours. Or, or they will have a devotional, so I, I, just, I just worship with them, you know. Or they have worship in the Word for two hours. See, the way that they have sustained 24-7 of prayer is because they have two-hour time blocks in which they pray. And they have different focus in those different time blocks. So if we're not careful, if we look at that approach, because if we're not careful as Pentecostals, we can say that's not spontaneous. No, you can be spontaneous within guidelines. You know? Because that's part of what leaders, leaders are to do. Leaders are to give direction, even in prayer. Leaders are to give direction in prayer. And leaders should get the word of the Lord about what we are to pray about tonight. So what, what is the agenda that we're going to set for tonight? Not that the Holy Spirit cannot totally change that. I can tell you that even though I made this, this PowerPoint... A lot of the stuff that I've shared with you today, I didn't have written down. I didn't anticipate saying. These things were just a guideline so the Holy Spirit can fill in the spaces. And that's kind of how it is, I think, with prayer, especially if you're going to pray for an extended period of time, like maybe having a prayer vigil that goes, say, from 6 p.m. until midnight. How are you going to fill up that much time? You can either have six hours of soaking prayer in which people are praying individually, but nobody really knows what was prayed, and nobody is keeping track of what was prayed, and so nobody knows what the results were of that prayer, but everybody felt good because they could come and soak. Now, I do like soaking prayer. I do soaking prayer, okay? But, but 
There are other ways of praying that have more focus and direction, especially if you want to do intercessory prayer. Okay. So I think that praying scripture is a good way of focusing that. All right. So this is in a small group or a corporate setting. It unifies our prayers around a central integrating thing, but it releases the spirit to apply it to a specific situation. There is something here. We're going to take this passage of scripture, and then we're going to pray about this topic. And, and each one of you are going to look at the scripture, and you're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give you something out of this passage to pray about this topic. Okay? So, so then this becomes the focus of intercessory prayer, and, we're, and we are going to do this. Okay. So here are some steps. This is the very last slide. Here are some steps for groups. Okay? And again, those of you that are prayer leaders and that type of thing, if you leave your email address, I will send you this because some of these step things and some of this stuff up here is a lot for you to take all those notes. But I don't mind making this material available to you. All right. But it's really the leader, you know. Now, now I would say that if I was doing a six-hour you know, vigil, I would begin with, with worship for at least 45 minutes, okay? Sometimes in those times, you can also give a prayer, a prayer time, say 30 minutes for supplication. Let's just have small groups of three and four people, and let's just pray for each other right now. So you, you just get that out of the way. You can do that as well, okay? And then if you want to, then you can, you can, you know, do what I'm talking about here which is whoever is the leader, you select the focal point for the prayer time. And you can have many focal points in a given evening. You don't have to have just one. But it's good for us to have different focal points so that we are all together, we are in agreement, we're all praying about the same topic at the same time. But we don't have to have just one person praying that. Many people can be praying at the same time. And that is the joy of doing this in terms of small groups. Because small groups can be praying. You can have four or five small groups. So you are having, instead of having one person praying, you're having about, uh, let's say, 20 people praying at the same time. I mean, that's more prayer power, isn't it? And you're praying on the same topic. But the leader selects the, the, the focal point and, and then uh, selects also the passage of Scripture. So then after, the, after we do that, then the groups break down and, you know, you ask people to get into a group of, of four. I think four is best. You could do five. You can do three. Um, you ha I think to have a, a, real, a good group, you need at least three. Uh, if you get more than five, then not everybody has a, a time to pray. It's good to have a small enough group so everybody has a, has, has a time to pray. So then everybody, after you get into your groups, then everybody is to spend time on their own meditating on that passage of Scripture. So we're not going to pray together vocally until everybody has looked at that Scripture and has asked the Holy Spirit, what from this passage do you want me to apply to this situation? Okay. Then the groups come back together again. They regroup and they discuss what they said. 
what, what did God say to you how we need to pray about this situation? So this person said, well, in this verse and this verse, the Holy Spirit did this. This verse and this verse, this, this, yeah, you know. And we're going to do this right now, so, so uh, we'll have an experience with this. Okay? So then, after everybody has shared that little bit, then you actually pray. And one person, whoever wants to, can start off with the prayer. But then the others, you should not change topic until that topic is prayed about. In other words, there could be two or three people in the group, two people in the group say that get the same topic. So they need to pray that topic out before you pray the next topic. Okay? And, and then it's best to wait on one another. It's good to listen to one another. Sometimes when I'm in a prayer group, God gives me something to pray for, but somebody else prays it. So I don't need to re-pray all of that and re-say everything. I agree with them. I agree with them. You know, where two or three are agreed. The Holy Spirit's saying the same thing. I agree with them. All right? Um, so, so we wait on one another, and then we end, we end with thanksgiving. 